Welcome to the first show of the new year for your province, your premier. Heard on QR Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Chad. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. If you have a question, a concern, something on your mind for the premier, you can phone or text. But a big reminder, please keep those questions or texts as short as possible. All right, Premier Smith is ready and waiting to hear from you today. Those numbers, 403-974-8255 in Calgary, 780 0063 7804960063 in Edmonton. Yeah, it's been a little while. Premier Smith, welcome to the show, our first show of the year. Hope you were able to enjoy a bit of family time or some downtime at least during the holidays, a bit of respite to recharge. It was a it was a good break. I'm glad to be able to talk to you again because there's a lot that's happened in the first few weeks of the year. Oh, is there ever? And once again, into the breach, a few topics on my agenda that I'd like to try to get to, but I'm sure our listeners will have their own questions or concerns as well. As a matter of fact, uh, Kevin Usselman on the Alberta Weekend Morning Show uh, left me a five-page uh, list of text suggestions that came into his show a to-do list for the premier so i'm going to try to touch on those but you know our, our priority here is a phone and text on your show uh, my questions let's get right to it uh health items uh doctor recent data from the alberta medical association says 20 percent of family doctors in alberta feel they won't last more than six months the ama calling for a different funding model to stop the bleeding your response what's going to happen we're in 100% agreement with the AMA, and that's why we did a, a presentation and a joint press conference in November. The federal government, we signed an agreement with them to give $180 million directly to primary care. We're going to do that. The federal funding, I believe, arrives in April, and so we're working out the, the way to be able to get it out to each practitioner. I, I understand the urgency. It's why we made it a priority, and we are, we're going to, to deliver on that. We have to. Everybody needs to have a family practitioner. That begins with a family doctor, nurse practitioners, as well as uh, as pharmacy, so that we have the, the full range of care for options for people. So the funding is on the way. What about the issue of family physicians in rural communities? That's still an issue. It, it, it absolutely is. And one of the things that my, my ministers are doing, both my advanced education minister, as well as Minister Adriana Lagrange, is that we're, we're, we're broadening out training in rural areas. Because what we've observed, and we, we got this advice as well from the AMA, is that if we want doctors to go through primary care and then practice in rural communities, they've got to be trained in rural communities. So we've got a budget coming up on February the 29th, and so you'll be able to see the, the beginning of that of that plan taking shape. But but we know that it's a, an absolute priority, and not just for, for doctors, but all medical practitioners, whether it's a, a nurse or an LPN or, or paramedics. If we if we want to make sure that our, our, our rural communities have a, a robust number of, of health professionals, we've got to train them there. As well, Adriana Lagrange is, is doing a lot of work on attracting international medical graduates and creating more opportunity for for those grads to be able to work seamlessly in our system so that, that'll be another way that we can bridge that gap but we're we're all in agreement there's a level of urgency and we've got to focus on it earlier this week it was announced that 103 more clinics at shoppers drug marts on one hand it sounds it like it may bring some added relief to our overstressed health system but on the other doctors say it could put patients at risk and it also trivializes their work you know Look, I, I believe 
every medical professional needs to be able to operate in their full scope of practice. And, and I, I, we really cannot be, be bottlenecked from change because one person is thinking another person shouldn't be doing what they're doing. That, that's, we've got to bust through that, parent, that paradigm. It is all hands on deck. Our paramedics are trained to a level where they can do a certain level of service. So are our nurses, so are our, our pharmacists, and we're going to make sure everybody is employed to their full scope of practice. We've got the largest scope of practice for pharmacists in the entire country. And as Why Shoppers has made this historic event, investment, there are only three of these kinds of clinics in Ontario. That should tell you something. They want to get to 103 by the end of the year so that people can go in, get their blood sugar tested, their blood pressure tested, get tested for uh, for for, uh, for things that the, the pharmacist can diagnose and be able to write a, a prescription on site. This is going to augment care. And, and I think most people would rather go to their local, friendly neighborhood pharmacist for some of these minor ailments than going into an emergency room in a hospital. And that's what we're going to do. As I said, it's all hands on deck now. What about the concern, though, that it could put patients at risk, perhaps if there was a, a misdiagnosis or something from the pharmacists? Uh, obviously, they've got a code of ethics they have their rules of, of practice, what they can and can't do. But is there still that um, that concern, at least from the public? Well, look, I, I think people can make their own choices. And I, I think that we have now trained up our pharmacists to a point where they're able to understand where they can diagnose and where they can treat and where they need to refer. I think we have to accept the expertise of our all of our medical professionals because we're, we're, we're simply not going to solve this problem of primary care by building walls. We've got, we've got to tear those walls down and make sure people have the most access to the most practitioners as possible. All right. On the Ched text line, we had this question came in. What is the status of the home hospital pilot project in Wetaskiwin that was implemented in November of 2022? It was the first of its kind in rural communities in Canada. Has it been successful and will it be expanded throughout the province? You know, sorry, I, I don't have a briefing on that particular case, but um, what, what I will say is is that we, we are working on ways in which we can do more care in communities, have funding following patients, do, have a whole variety of, of community care models. Our, our approach would be, especially for, for long-term care, is, is let's support people where they are. Let's make sure that they're supported with home care. Let's make sure that we're providing the services as they age in place. And let's let's try not to make the first door of entry the hospital emergency room every time. It's part of the reason why we've created a structure where we've got mental health, addiction, we've got uh, primary care, and we've got continuing care as, as separate pillars within our system. We've got to focus on those so that so that not everybody feels the only answer is a, is a hospital waiting room. All right, enough of me. Uh, let's get to our phone calls. Uh, Daryl is calling in from Diamond Valley. Go ahead, Daryl. You're on with Premier Smith. Yes, good morning, Diamond, uh, uh, Premier Smith. My question Hi. is uh, with all the new people coming to Alberta, why are we pushing for more MPs, more representation in the federal government? We should be better representatives. Like the federal election shouldn't be decided in eastern Canada. We should have more representatives. Should we be pushing for that? You're totally right. I mean, the the uh, the frustration I have always had is about our underrepresentation, whether it's the Senate 
or whether it's the, the House of Commons. And so we, we know in Alberta we have to redraw our boundaries. Uh, that happens uh, every so often because to accommodate population growth. And if, uh, if we're short on the number of, of MPs, then you can, you can guarantee we'll be advocating for, for the, the right share. Because I, I think that's what we should be thinking of. We will get more political say when we have more MPs. It's, it's just the way our, our country works, and, and we've got to make sure that, that we're well represented. So thanks for that input. All right, Premier Smith, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson. We'll be back with more of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard Saturday mornings for listeners throughout Alberta in Edmonton on 630 Chad, right here in Calgary on QR Calgary. All right, uh, back to the phones. Uh, Marianne is calling in from Calgary with a climate change question. Go ahead, Marianne. You're on with Premier Smith. Hi, Premier Smith, and uh, thanks for championing Alberta and Canadian energy at COP28 and presenting an honest depiction of our energy sector. Um, under the current triumvirate of the Alberta NDP, federal NDP, and their liberals with Trudeau and Gilbo and their 2035 edict, um, I'd like to suggest that particularly during extreme cold, dark winter weather, they will be inflicting a geographical, geological genocide on the millions of Canadians who rely on natural gas, fuel oil, and propane. Um, what are your concerns about what 2035 will mean to Albertans and Canadians? Well, I can tell you, we're not going to put Albertans at risk. And um, but the the issue of the potential for deaths when it's minus when it's minus 35. I think it's, it, was, it was even minus 61 at the airport with the wind chill on uh, on uh, in those weeks. The, the risk of death is is not an idle concern. When when Texas went through something similar, 346 people died. And so it's very serious. So I can tell you, we're, we're just simply not going to do it. That's, that's the reason why we invoked the Alberta Sovereignty within the United Canada Act. We've told the federal government we will not be implementing their their policies and that we will be building um, out base load power. In our, in our province, that makes sense to add natural gas. We'll do our best effort to reduce the amount of emissions that go along with that. But, uh, but I know my responsibility is to make sure that, that people have secure power, make sure it's reliable, make sure it's affordable, as well as reduce emissions. And we're, we're not going to be so single-minded and so ideologically focused on one outcome that we put people at risk. It's just not going to happen in Alberta. We had a couple of uh, suggestions that came in from uh, Kevin Usselman on the Alberta Weekend Morning Show uh, to that very topic, uh, Premier Smith, and strengthening the electric grid uh, was one, uh, said more and more people are moving into the province. The Premier needs to work with suppliers to increase green energy projects with storage and get municipalities to reduce demand during the cold snaps. And uh, someone else just said, hey, let's reduce the cost of electricity in Alberta, not just the cost per kilowatt hours, but all the fees as well. Well, look, I'm in agreement with all of those statements. The question is, how do we do it? We know that we're going to to continue to grow as a province. I think that that is uh, amazing that so many people want to come to our province. So we've got to figure out how to manage those growth pressures. And uh, I'm hearing from my electricity minister, we'll need to double the amount of electricity we can produce by 2050. And so that means that we've got to continue adding on large-scale electrical projects. 
The um, to, to understand what our, our various options are, though, I mean, look at hydroelectric power in British Columbia. That's a 1,200 megawatt plant that's coming on stream. It took decades to get the approvals for. Cost 16 billion dollars. We're going to be bringing on a 900 megawatt plant, the Cascades plant, that costs $1.5 billion. And so it makes sense for us to continue using natural gas. Natural gas is also a great backup for wind and solar. When they don't work, we're able to, to power up our, our peaker plants so that they can provide the, the gap. We're looking at small modular nuclear. I saw that Capital Power just announced that they were working with OPG to see if we could find some sites for that. I've, I've just up at, been up in the peace country. There's always been proposals for run-of-the-river hydro up here, so maybe that's an option for us. Geothermal, our company ever, is making international headlines with the, with the loops that they're putting in place to give, to give baseload power on geothermal. And increasingly, hydrogen and ammonia are looking at as, uh, as other potential fuel sources. So I, I think we can do it all, but we have to be aware of just how tight our grid are, is. And I, I think people need to know we've had 14 of those level three alerts in the past 18 months. So we've got to bring more power on. 2,700 megawatts are coming on this year, so we've got a little bit of breathing room. I want people to feel confident about that. But we've got to keep on managing growth pressures and keep on adding to the grid. Affordability, affordability issues, uh, certainly one of the things that uh, high on uh, Albertans' agenda. Health care, of course, the other one. And uh, here's back to the text line on the QR line. Uh, Premier, you promised a reduction in provincial taxes on the first $60,000. This should have been implemented already. Has this promise been broken? Um, it is. Uh, I have to tell you, we do things through a budget process. Our budget is coming out February 29th, and we'll show the timeline for how we implement that. I mean, we have to remember we're, we're in the middle of budget nego- or, uh, contract negotiations. They begin in the next couple of weeks, and so we have to make sure that we, we know that we're going to be able to manage all of our expenses, keep up with growth, as well as deliver that tax relief in a way that won't cause us to, to run deficits. So there's a, been some uncertainty about a few things. There was uncertainty about when Trans Mountain was going to come on stream. We know Coastal Gas Link is going to be coming on with the uh, LNG export next year. And we're seeing some um, variation in the prices. So we just want to make sure that when, when we deliver the tax cut that uh, we can afford it and that we're, we're not going to be compromising either on our negotiations or compromising on, on our, our balanced budget. So you'll see, the, you'll see the time frame for that on February the 29th when our budget comes down. Okay, that was part of the affordability question and the uh, part of the health question that came in on the text line. Why hasn't the province adopted the health model that's in Tabor, where it's less expensive, there are no wait lists, and a higher quality of care? Well, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty inspired by what I heard about uh, the Chinook region. So I know that Chinook, Tabor is part of that Chinook region, with uh, Lethbridge being the main multi-service hospital down there, as well as a number of auxiliary hospitals. And, and one of the things that I learned years ago about how they operate is that they ensure that the, the number of, of people in acute care are there for, for acute care purposes. And once somebody's condition has been stabilized and they need to move on to an alternative level of care, they have a, a program where they are efficiently moved into some kind of transitional housing and then move on to the appropriate uh, level of, uh, of continuing care or mental health or, or other type of treatment. So we're just in the process of figuring out how many of our beds in the system 
um, acute care beds are filled with people who should be in an alternative level of care. And I, I, should, I should tell people where we, what we found out. We, we now have 1,069 people in 16 of our biggest hospitals who are waiting for alternative levels of care. So we've got to build out continuing care facilities, mental health facilities, addiction facilities, rental support, and make sure that we're, we're, we're having people uh, in the right place. So I'm very inspired by what I heard about down in Tabor. And that's the kind of model that, that we're going to, to use in the rest of the province to make sure that we always have the acute care beds available. At the moment, we're just identifying the problem. I think we're on track to be able to, to figure out what some of those solutions are. And people are going to start seeing some major improvement in the coming months. All right. Still with healthcare, Chris has been holding on for uh, the whole show. Uh, Chris, you're up with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Oh, good morning, Madam Premier. Um, recent polling in the journal hi, uh, has uh, indicated that a large percentage of GPs in Alberta are looking to leave the province or retire. Now, I think we only have about 25 active GP, 2,500 active GPs working in Alberta and 700,000 people in Alberta with no GP. I know the province is using a recruitment agency, I think out of the East Coast, to uh, recruit general practitioners. Can you tell me what, uh, how many the province is looking to recruit and what number they've recruited so far and where they're being placed, please? And also, um, how much uh, will each doctor be getting in April and how will it be delivered? Thank you very much. Lots of great questions there. One of the things I would say is that every province is facing the issues that we have. And so our, when we got together as premiers, we, we made a, a decision that we weren't going to poach each other's health care workers. So let me just add a little bit more to the, the, the problem that we're facing on the physician front. We've got 11,000 doctors. We've got 5,500 that are family doctors, but only 2,500 of them are uh, practicing in 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 uh, in medical practice, having their own private practice, and I, I think it, part of that is because of the way we pay our doctors. They're expected to run their practice, pay for their overhead, hire staff, and then they have to bill in thirty-six dollar increments. The, the amount of administrative burden is is outrageous, and so it's become increasingly uh, less attractive for people to get into that line of work. So what we're doing is we're working towards a model where we pay physicians per patient that they have on their roster as, a port, as opposed to per treatment. And so we're, we have to figure out what that model looks like, what, the, what the, uh, the dollar figure would be. But that's what we agreed to in our contract negotiations a year and a half ago. That's what we're all working towards. Um, so there'll be a portion of the funding that we give them that helps to cover those overhead costs and then a portion based on the number of patients they have on their roster, which will allow them to do the team practice. Because a lot of doctors can work in hospital as hospitalists and do, and do care there. And if they have a nurse practitioner on staff and LPNs and psychologists and dietitians who are able to be brought into the practice, that's the future of medicine. So we have a couple more months just to be able to get the funding in place, get the model in place. But that's the direction that we're going. And I, and I think it's going to be very encouraging for doctors that, that we're giving them the support they need. Linda is phoning in from Edmonton with a question on uh, parental rights. Go ahead, Linda. You're on with the Premier. Oh, uh, good morning, Premier. I just want to say I fully support you, and I'm, I'm very happy at what you're doing. But uh, just a question about uh, parental rights. At the AGM in November, you know, during your speech, you had a standing ovation. And then when you left uh, you. Uh, the, um, the speech, uh, you went and had a news conference and you talked about uh, that there's many stakeholders 
so I just don't quite understand what that statement was about. And when can we expect a uh, Alberta parental <coughs> rights bill? And just uh, secondly, I'm very concerned about uh, digital ID. As you know, there was a big breach earlier, well, a big breach found out earlier this week. And so how can we uh, secure uh, the digital ID? And, and I'm, like I say, I'm very concerned about, about that. Thank you. Let me, let me start with the second one, because yesterday my technology and innovation minister, Nick Lubish, began the, uh, the first step in creating a digital bill of rights so that each individual has the ability to control who has their information and make sure that it's protected. That's what we heard loud and clear, is that we've got to start by putting privacy first. We've got a lot of services that we need to deliver, and people want to make sure that their information is not going to be used against them, and, and it's going to be used for, for the purpose they want it to be used for. So we're starting with privacy, and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll flesh that out. So that's, that's one part, because I know I understand very many people are concerned about that. When it comes to the, the balancing of uh, parental rights, with the uh, you know with with kids growing into adulthood, I mean I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with parents wanting to protect their child's innocence as long as possible on issues of sexuality. I, I think that that's a good instinct, but kids do get to a point where they start making their own decisions, and so that's the balance that we're we're trying to get to is how do we make sure that we're supporting ch children as they grow into adults to become the people they want to be, but making sure that uh, the parents also have the, the right to, to ensure that materials and education and exposure to some of these discussions happen at an age-appropriate level. So we're, uh, we'll be releasing, we've been having a lot of conversations about this as a caucus, and uh, we've, we've consulted very broadly about it. And so we'll be re releasing policy on this next week. And I, I'm really hopeful that we can depoliticize the discussion and be thinking about the kids who are listening to us as adults talking about these issues that are impacting them and make sure that we uh, we get the right balance. So you, you'll, you'll see more about that next week. All right. Uh, Wayne from White Court has a question with regards to environment. Go ahead, Wayne. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Can. Yeah, uh, I, throughout history, it's... It's collective learning. We've learned to get better and make things better for our children. Now, scientists have been telling us here for decades that we're destroying the planet and we need to show some responsibility. Now, we need to take action. It's through intention we do things. Instead of putting a pause on renewables, your, your only concern, it seems to me, is making the big mega corporations richer and their shareholders and you're not really helping albertans you're putting the future of the children of the province and planet in peril and wayne what's, it, what's your fossil fuel industries what's your question We're making wayne? it harder for renewable industries to get going you talk about reliability okay wayne, wayne what is your question for the nuclear. premier i mean you should have been doing this decades ago when are you going to start helping people and the future of our children. All right, there we have a question. Premier Smith. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't in the, the office 
uh, decades ago. So I wasn't able to, to make some of the decisions that we're making now. I think he'd mentioned something about nuclear, and uh, we're moving with uh, lightning speed on on working on nuclear. We've got a working group with the federal government on how we might be able to streamline the regulatory process. We've signed an MOU with Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, and Ontario, and we already have a company looking at how they're going to, to implement that. We've got several municipalities as well that have uh, have said, hey, we'd love to be able to, to, have, uh, to host nuclear in our city. So um, I think things are moving on that front. I, I need people to understand that... What, what happens when the sun goes down in the middle of winter, when it's minus 35, is a couple of things. Number one, you get zero solar power, power being generated. And number two, the wind either isn't blowing because of the conditions or they have to be powered down because there can be mechanical failure when it gets below minus 30. So building more wind and solar so that to, to be able to try to ensure we've got reliable power in minus 35 is not the answer. We need to build more baseload power. Now, wind and solar are part of the solution. They can help us during the daylight hours, which is great, which means that we can power down our natural gas. But we, we have an obligation to ensure that our power stays on and our furnaces stay on in the dead of winter, in the dark of night, when it's, when it's minus 30 and beyond. And that means that we need to have a serious conversation about what that baseload power looks like. So Premier that's Smith, why it can't uh, be 100% renewables. Terry has uh, texted in from, uh, from the Ched line. He said, when are the new natural gas plants coming online to support the energy grid? And when are we going to build a nuclear plant? So I would. So I've been told by my um, my electricity minister that Cascades was in the process of testing their their new plant when we ended up with uh, with the alert that went out on January the 12th. So they're very close to coming on stream. They had a couple of hiccups in, in powering up to 100%. That's a 900 megawatt plant. The final coal plant is coming off this year because the natural gas conversion is occurring. One of the um, one of those projects is is scheduled to come on stream, I believe, at the end of March. The other is uh, scheduled to come on stream at the end of June. The uh, Capital Power, in their in their uh, press conference with OPG, has suggested a 2035 timeframe for when they might get their first uh, nuclear uh, uh, nuclear installation in. I, I believe uh, New Brunswick is looking at 2026. Uh, Ontario is looking at 2028 at their Darlington plant. And once they've figured out how to integrate the, the smaller modular reactors into their system and they've developed an, an effective system for, for building those, it may be that we're able to accelerate it. But I want to manage people's expectations that the, our power generators are saying probably 2035 at the earliest. All right, another texter from the Ched line. John asks... Why Calgary's mayor added $9,000 to a developer's cost per unit to their building costs? What happened to affordable? This has been one of my great frustrations, is that uh, politicians continue to add additional regulatory costs, delays, permits, fees, and then are act surprised when the, the cost of housing goes up. What, what we're doing is that we, we're developing a package of proposals and my my um, my housing minister that's uh, jason nixon who's seniors community and social services is going to be uh, announcing this package and one of it is is creating an incentive and partnership with municipalities to reduce red tape reduce costs so that we can get some of these projects on on uh, online and, con and in construction faster so um for the specific issue to uh, to the mayor I, I would ask you to put that to her but i can tell you what we're doing is everything we can to reward those jurisdictions that are looking at ways to reduce red tape and get more houses built all right don is phoning in from edmonton with a health question go ahead don you're on with premier danielle smith 
Hi, Danielle. Premier Smith, Wayne. Um, I've been looking at the health care system, and it's, it's, it's so outdated. Okay, so we're running behind. People aren't taking responsibility for their own health. Trudeau is trying to get rid of the naturopathic doctors under Bill 47. So if somebody's waiting for surgery or wait, I was actually thinking while they're waiting in the, the waiting room, why not play them videos on how they can look after their own health by doing slight changes in their diet? But um, anyway, for the Bill 47 thing, um, he's trying to take away the naturopathic doctors. Could we possibly have, while people are waiting for treatment, waiting for to see their doctor, could we not pay, have the government pay for them to see a naturopathic doctor? You know, I, I have to tell you, I've been I've been thinking of making the Calm app available to all Albertans because there's a a number of brilliant masterclasses on there. One of them is Rangan Chatterjee, who's a doctor who realized that he could solve a lot of the uh, chronic conditions his clients were facing by changing their diet, making sure they got proper rest, making sure they got proper exercise, and uh, and, and in ensuring that they got proper sleep. And he's, he's just seen some dramatic changes. And so I agree with you that everything that we can do to keep ourselves well, keep ourselves healthy, that's, that's, that's absolutely going to be one part of managing our, our overall care as well as our chronic conditions. There's always going to be uh, individuals who need the acute care system and whose conditions are going to get to a point where they have to be hospitalized. I, I totally get that. But the, the materials are out there for, for people who, who want to, to pursue a healthier lifestyle. If we, if we can make it easier for them to get it, then you know we'll, we'll, we'll look at ways that we can do it. I think you've got a good idea, Don. All right, a question on the QR text line. Please update on the status of the nurse practitioner clinics. How soon can we see them? Hopefully very soon. We, we want to, uh, my, 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 I think my health minister was targeting the end of January when we first did our press conference to have the, the funding formula in place for our nurse practitioners. It may be delayed slightly from that, but we're, we're, we're talking matter of, of weeks, not matter of years or, or, or months. We, we know that we need to get our nurse practitioners into the clinics, and it's going to be very similar to what I had described before, that we'll have a certain amount where the overhead uh, a payment is made so that they don't have to worry about how to keep the lights on and pay their rent, and then there'll be a certain amount on a per-patient basis and uh, some expectation about the number of patients that are going to manage. So it's a, a little complicated to work that out because different people, different ages, different chronic conditions have a different level of, of, um, of uh, attention that is going to be required by the practitioner. But we're hoping that both of those models are, are going to be rolled out in, in, uh, in the coming weeks. And I think it's going to make a big difference to not only how they do their practice, but team care and also making sure every single person has access to a practitioner. All right, we're going to switch gears with this next question. Uh, Peter is calling in from Calgary on the bag bylaw, something that I had on my agenda uh, and I figured that somebody would get around to asking this question sooner or later on today's show. So, uh, Peter, go ahead. You are on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hello, uh, Madam Premier. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, my concern is uh, regards to the uh, bylaw in Calgary for charging uh, for paper bags is that um, those bags are recyclable. And uh, as a matter of fact, I actually uh, work for a recycling company that can process those bags and easily turn them away from the landfill. So for me, it doesn't make sense why um, the public is being charged. I mean, that is another extra charge that we have to deal with. So is there anything that can be done about that? There are solutions that can be, that can be I mean, put in place instead of charging the public. 
for the use of, of these bags. Well, thank you for that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I observed is that the federal court just told the federal government that it was a massive overreach, unreasonable and unconstitutional for them to come in and regulate plastics. Single-use plastics is toxic. So if this was overreach by the federal government, it seems to me it's overreach by the municipal governments too. We, we have to have a rational approach to how we make sure people have the services that they need in an efficient and effective way and not be putting a bunch of silly barriers in place because we're virtue signaling about how much we care about the environment. Let's really care about the environment. Let's take care of the issues that we know that we can. Let's figure out a better way of recycling those single-use items, of uh, perhaps doing waste to energy and incinerating them. I know Edmonton has a proposal where they're looking at that, as does Southern Alberta. But I, I think we, I think we're, we're, everybody's getting pretty tired of having these symbolic gestures that only cause inconvenience and don't really get at the root of the problem. So as you can tell, I've asked my municipal affairs minister what we can do to address this, but I, I think people are kind of fed up about it. I, I already watched this in Edmonton. We're watching it in Calgary. We've heard you loud and clear. In the meantime, call your councillor, call your mayor. I think they're, go they're, they're going in the wrong direction on this. Kevin has texted in on the QR line. Please ask the Premier why she cannot help with the Coots 4 who have been incarcerated for two years without a trial. And is she considering following suit with Scott Moe and drop the carbon tax? Uh, on the first one, look, guys, I mean, I, I have had to learn about what I can and cannot do in this position as premier. And I think we're, we're all very influenced by what we see on American television. And American television, uh, you, you've got prosecutors that are elected by the people. We don't have that here. In American television, you've got the criminal code that's at the state level. In, Al in Canada, it's at the federal level. In America, governors have the power to give amnesty. In Alberta and in our provinces, we don't. So I, I, I accept that there's certain things that I can do and certain things that I cannot do. And once these processes have begun, arrests have been made, and the prosecution is underway, it has to play itself out. I'm, I'm, I know that's an unsatisfactory answer for a lot of people who are very concerned about this. But, but, but do know that uh, there, there, there is, uh, there's, I'm just watching it along with anyone else, and, and I, there's nothing I can do to step in, I'm afraid. It's interesting that there is a convoy planned for the second anniversary of the Coots blockade. Well, you know what, and as long as nobody is blocking critical infrastructure and they're doing a peaceful protest, then uh, bravo to them, right? I mean, I, I think the, 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 the reason why it turned into such a, a difficult situation is that there were some cases where critical infrastructure was blocked and it was uh, impairing trade, and there was also a, um, a, a large number of uh, vehicles in, in Ottawa with sort of no end in sight for when it was going to be dismantled. But if, if there's a lot of people who want to just celebrate and remember the victory that uh, that we have by having our freedom return, then, then I'm, I'm all for that. Let's just make sure that we're not inconveniencing people and we're, and we're not blocking roads and we're not blocking borders. All right. The second question on that uh, text message, are you considering following suit with Scott Moe and drop the carbon tax? So I'm watching what's happening in Saskatchewan, and the last thing I saw was that the, the way in which Scott Moe can avoid breaking the law is that he's got to submit provincial tax dollars to indemnify the federal government so that the federal government isn't short. And if we did the same thing in Alberta, I would have to cut a check of $3.5 billion to Justin Trudeau. And I'm going to tell you something, I'm not going to do that. We're going to keep on fighting because we believe that the retail carbon tax is the wrong way to be addressing issues. I, 
I believe technology and reducing emissions and carbon capture and exporting all of our, our great technology is the right solution. So we're going to continue fighting the retail carbon tax. But it may, re- it may take a change of government for us to be able to, to get what we want. But there's, there's under no circumstances. With, them all, with the federal government already extracting more from Albertans then we get back in federal benefits. There's no way I'm cutting a check for $3.5 billion more. All right, we're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith, and we'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. And i got to tell you that the text lines are just going gangbusters on both the uh, QR line and the Ched line. We've got a ton of phone calls to get to. We're not going to be able to get to everything, but let's make a good start on it. Uh, Lorna has been hanging on for about 20 minutes with uh, an ER question. Go ahead, Lorna. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Premier Smith, I worked in the healthcare system, and when I was in ER helping out when it was busy, I wondered why there wasn't one more level that the patients could be triaged to. Um, If in the triage area, if the nurse could identify that they weren't as significantly ill as required the acute care, if there could be a standalone but connected adjacent 24-hour walk-in clinic, the advantage to that is the triage nurse liability would be reduced in that she'd know that somebody would be assessing the patient. If there was an accidental misassessment and the patient needed urgent care, they could still be tra- transferred back into the ER setting quickly. And the third thing is that if patients become familiar with the idea that the, t- the walking clinic was adjacent to the ER, they know how to get to the ER, they could self-identify and say, perhaps I don't need acute care, but I need reassurance. And I felt when I helped out when the, the ER was busy, I'd be floated down. And I felt like it would take a, a fair amount of pressure off the ER doctors when they didn't have to deal with patients that weren't as acutely ill. But the, the triage nurse is not going to um, extend her liability by turning them away in case there is something wrong. You're 100% right. I would, I, I've seen, I think that there are a couple of our care facilities in Alberta, because I remember hearing this model when I was in politics the first time where they did exactly that, where you have a 24-hour walk-in style clinic so that if there is a more urgent need, somebody can go over to the emergency side. And if there is a less acute need, then they can come over and be able to get their prescription or be able to get the throat swab to find out if they've got strep and then be able to get on their way. I, I, I think your your ideas are brilliant. We, we have to be creative and we have to be thinking along those lines because I think what a lot of people find is uh, if, I'm, if they have a family doctor, sometimes the family doctor is only open during regular business hours, Monday through Friday. So it means that in the weekend and in the evenings, there isn't another option. If you don't have a walk-in clinic in your community, you go to emergency. So the obvious solution is exactly as you say, let's figure out a way to get emergency rooms co-located with those 24-hour clinics, get more of them up and running, and and I think we'll do a better job of of giving the, the patients the care they need on site. Great idea. Okay, another healthcare question on the, this one from the 630 Ched line. Can you ask Premier Smith when we will see the Red Deer Hospital expansion begin? It's been almost eight years since it was first announced. 
Oh, my frustration as well. I, I, I agree. I mean, we've, we're in the design phase right now, and we're all having this big conversation about why does the design phase take so long? It's not like Alberta is the only place that's ever built hospitals in the past. And why isn't there some central depository of all of the architectural designs of all of the hospitals that have been built in North America so that we can see if there's one there that fits with a little bit of, uh, of change and then we can get going right away. So we're about to embark on a process where we really do a major rethink of how we do capital because we did that kind of approach in, in uh, education. We've done this kind of approach in our mental health facilities where you get a common design and then you can get things built a lot quicker. So we're, as I said, we're in the design phase um, uh, my my health minister is from Red Deer, so she is highly motivated to uh, to do what she can to accelerate that timeline. And, but I think for for people who are waiting elsewhere for those kinds of acute care facilities, we, we've got to do it um, in, in a better way so that we can we can get uh, shovels in ground a lot faster. All right, Jim is on the phone from Red Deer with a gas tax question. Go ahead, Jim. You're on with Premier Smith. Yeah, you betcha. Hey, Danielle, how you doing? Very good. That's good. So the carbon tax, somebody already asked you about that, so I won't bother, but with Trudeau putting us trillions of dollars in debt, what are the premiers of the provinces going to do to get us to stop this government from spending, right? It's ridiculous, and you represent the people, so let's get together and get something done. But the other premiers, what can you do to stop what's going on? It's a, it's a really great point that you're making. I mean, uh, I'm about to start talking with um, Newfoundland Premier Anthony Fury because he's just as frustrated as we are about equalization. Can you imagine? I mean, his small province is, is one of the ones that is it's large geographically, small population, and they're punished because they have resource revenue. They don't get any equalization payments. Meanwhile, they're a net payer into the system just like us so that Ontario and Quebec got equalization last year. That's not how our country is supposed to work. We're not supposed to have these tiny provinces trans, um, sending money to Ottawa so it can be given to our two most populous provinces. So we have to have that broader conversation about how do we keep more money in the provinces so that they can manage their own areas of jurisdiction. Over the last number of decades, what we've done is we've allowed the federal government to overtax us and then they make political decisions about how the dollars get distributed back. And that's the end. And, and Albertans need to understand especially why this needs to end. Because every single time the federal government takes a program over from us, from our area of jurisdiction, we overpay and then they transfer back less. Whether it's their aspirations on pharmacare or long-term care or child care or any of the other things that they're putting up, they're now talking about a guaranteed annual income, do know that that just means extracting more dollars from Alberta to be spent in, in Eastern Canada. And we're going to fight it every step of the way. We, we do have to get our provincial allies on, on side with that as well. Katie has texted in on the chat line. She says, please ask the Premier why, with EPCOR, we're having rolling electrical brownouts in the warm weather this week. She says, I live on the south side of Edmonton, and on Wednesday, January 24th at 12.30 p.m., our power went off for five minutes. And again yesterday, on Friday, the power went off at 11.30 for five minutes. Thank you. I, I don't know what that would be because when, when we're in a position where we have to do large-scale brownouts, we're talking about 120,000 homes being off the grid for about half an hour at a time. That's what we faced when we had to do the emergency alert on uh, on January the 12th. 
So I, I would have to, to uh, get my, um, my electricity minister to give me um, some feedback on that. That, that sounds like a, a more of a localized problem. And uh, I'm afraid I just don't have the answer to that. All right. Malcolm is calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Malcolm. You're on with Premier Smith. Uh, good morning, Premier. Um, I'm 65 years of age. I live in rural Alberta. And for the last 40 years, I've voted Conservative. You're doing a great job. Uh, I'd like to make a comment about rural health care. Before middle of December, I fell in a, in a, uh, while I was away on a trip. Uh, went and had an x-ray. He told me to, he would phone me. He called the doctor, called me the next day, told me my hand was broken. I went to the Killam Hospital, had everything done, and the following Tuesday, I was in Red Deer with a plastic surgeon who could fix things up right to the very end. And that's only four or five days, so whatever the changes you've made recently have been very positive here in rural Alberta. Well, I'm glad to hear a good news story like that. You know, I had a similar story that I was told of another woman who got, faced something very similar. And it's not perfect for everyone yet, but that's, you, what you've described should be exactly how our system works all the time, every time you've got a, a, an injury or an acute need. So, so thanks for that great feedback. We'll, we'll see if we can continue to, to build on that success. Okay, Premier Smith, we have time for one more question. I'm going to take it from that uh, to-do list from the Kevin Osselman show this morning. Uh, the province's number one priority needs to be water security. Your response? Yes. <laughs> I have to tell you, this is why my environment minister, Rebecca Schultz, has been uh, she's convened a, a, a group of her colleagues to make sure that everybody who is impacted by potential drought and, and water shortage conditions are in the loop so that we can minimize the, the harm. She's already said if we get into a position where we have to be making choices about who needs to curtail their water use, we're, we're going to prioritize food production. We absolutely have to do that. But we don't want to be in that position. My understanding is that our reservoirs for irrigation purposes, most of them have been recharged with the, with the, with the rainfall and snowfall that we've had so far. But we're in a pretty dire condition with uh, with drought in in southern Alberta and a lot of those uh, those ranchers' fields that are that are just bone dry. So so we we know that we're probably looking at additional supports for for, for managing some of that problem in the in the uh, once we get into the into the spring. But the the main thing that we've got to start talking about now is how do we build more reservoirs? We've got so much water in this province. And we've got to catch it as it's coming off with, uh, w with the, with the snowmelt in the spring so that we can use it when we need to. Let's make sure that we're managing for flood mitigation, managing for uh, run-of-the-river hydro, if it makes sense, making sure we've got water available for our cities, and ensuring as well we've got it for irrigation. So there's, there's tons of work that, uh, that that ministry has been doing in the last year. Right. And I, I, hope we have, I hope we have some answers for you, but, but that, that caller is absolutely right. It's, it's an absolutely crucial position. You can't do anything without having a secure supply of water. Premier Smith, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us today. There are so many uh, text messages and phone calls that we could not get to. Uh, we'll have to leave them for next time. We'll, we'll talk to you again. Thanks, Wayne. You bet. I'm Wayne Nelson. You have been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.